Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis and Ann are speaking with Alan Brockstein, one of the most influential reporters and analysts covering the cannabis sector as the owner of New Cannabis Ventures and the 420 Investor. Alan has played the role of the voice of the retail investor for his entire career. He watches nearly all the public cannabis companies, reads every single filing, and talks with management on a regular basis. Plainly said, Alan knows as much, if not more, about the public cannabis markets than anyone around. He can be controversial and has been known to speak his mind. Love him or not, just about everyone respects Alan Brockstein. This is one of those interviews where you're not going to want to sit back. So lean forward. Now onto our conversation with Alan Brockstein. So what do you want to talk about? Um, Happy New Year. Our first pod of the new year. Is it? Yes, it is. I think it, is. it is. We are recording this on January eighth, twenty twenty, and make sure that when you we survived yeah, two thousand nineteen. Two thousand nineteen, you know, for the most part, was a good year, but it uh, there were some definite challenges to it. What was your biggest challenge? Oh boy, personal or professional? I'm going to go with professional and leave the personal aside for now, and say. The downturn in the cannabis markets, you know, were a bummer. You know, we've been in the space for six years now, and it's been go, 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 go. And this was the first time, um, you know, the first time that we've seen like a real hiccup. You know, there have been minor blips, but now it's like a legit like shit. This, this, this shit got real. Shit did get real. How about you? What was your biggest challenge in 2019, other than working with me? Um, no, I think we're good. Um, I think the, I mean, it was a good challenge, but I think scaling and, and trying to, you know, make sure we've got all the right people building the business and, you know, from a, not a client specific point of view, but that's been kind of a fun challenge. Um, and, you know, making sure we're growing at a pace that's, that's good and, you know, getting the right people. I agree. I agree. And, you know, I think the cool thing is that we are starting off with the talking with Alan Brockstein from New Cannabis Ventures, who has become a good friend of the agency and of yours and of mine. And, and, and he, he has a really, you know, even though he's, he covers the public markets, he has an unbelievably optimistic outlook, which is really nice. Yeah. He came in he chipper. Came in chipper. Positively And he's chipper. not a, a, a core chipper person. I mean, he's a, you know, he could be a, a <laughs> gruff guy, but, you know, he was positively upbeat. It was great. Agreed. So why don't we get to our conversation with Alan Brockstein from 420 Investor and New Cannabis Ventures. Alan, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It has been too long. So what's going on, man? Oh, nothing much. <laughs> <laughs> well, crazy, man. Crazy. Uh, it's always crazy in our space. It, it truly is. And it's been about a year since we had you on the show. 
Um, and in that time, the public cannabis market has just been tanking for for most of these companies we're seeing especially uh, u.s companies um, down by as much as 70 percent so what the hell happened you know yeah i mean that's a fair question i think uh, i can't remember when i was on last do you, do you happen to, to remember when that was it was almost exactly a year ago Okay, so that was on the way up in Q1, and you know I, I've been trying to tell you about 420 Investor. Uh, this is a very different situation than a year ago, but you know just to kind of walk through the last year, then you know uh, in Q4 a year ago, the whole market was tanking, and I think the cannabis sector had its own problems. Uh, two that really stood out, and there's there's more, but two that really stood out. Number one, and most importantly, was all the uh, MSOs that went public and uh, the deals all broke. So there was just a ton of paper in, in a market that was already weak. That was the first one and most important. But also, you know, people made a lot of money at the beginning of 2018. And I think at, at the end of the year, I think pe these retail investors started to figure out that they better uh, sell uh, or they're going to owe a lot of taxes. Uh, you know, they had booked some gains earlier in the year, and they, there was a lot of tax loss selling available. So th those two things really conspired along with the overall market weakness. And, and there were more issues too, but I think that was what was going on. And so, you know, when when New Year's Day hit, the day after, the overall stock market took off, and it looked like the, there was a world change, and everybody was more optimistic. The tax loss selling was done. All of a sudden, these stocks that had been pummeled were, you know, like Cresco and Cureleaf, were getting back to their deal prices, and then Harvest too. And you know, the next thing you knew, these some of those stocks had tripled off the low. So, uh, so that that was the setup from a year ago. And then uh, as the year played out, you know, Canada once again uh, continues to disappoint, and I think that was one of the biggest stories. And you know, obviously there was some. Uh, Corollaries there with uh, Bruce Linton getting canned, along with many others uh, since then, and uh, and then also the Can Trust debacle. But you know, slow rollout in uh, in, in legal uh, cannabis in Canada certainly a, a huge story. And then in in the U.S., I think the big story last year uh, uh, was mainly about well, two stories. Uh, one was just the weakness in California. Everybody had so much optimism. Optimism. Ooh, don't don't jump into California yet, because there's a whole section. We're <laughs> we're going to talk about that. We're totally going to talk about that. Oh, I won't get into it, but everybody should be aware that that was a major disappointment. Well, in Massachusetts too, right? I mean, that's another state we're going to talk about. Do do you do you think we're close to the bottom? Okay, go ahead. The, the last point was the vape crisis, of course, and they brought on the capital crunch, and and now you can proceed. <laughs> so, you know. As you described, you know, the stocks were like a rocket ship from, you know, 17 through the March through March of 19. You know, it was almost straight up. Um, and now that that rocket ship is, you know, crashed. Do you think we're close to the bottom or do we still have a while more to go? So, you know, it's interesting. You know, I maintain not only one index, but several indices uh, to to one, the global market, the the just the American cannabis operators and then the Canadian market along with some subsets. And, 
in all these indices, every time I, I think they're bottoming, they don't. And so I, I want to warn everybody. First of all, you have to understand what it is. Alan, index. bring in the cheer. Yeah. You, you have to understand that an index is a collection of a bunch of companies, period, end of story. And, and all the indices, including mine, are equal weighted, not market cap weighted, which I think makes sense in a startup industry anyway. And there's no, there's some larger companies, but there's no dominant companies like the way the S&P 500 is dominated by these, you know, companies pushing a trillion or whatever. But uh, so what I've been trying to counsel people is you got to keep your eye on the overall market for sure. But we're in a situation where more than ever, and this is a change for the market, in my opinion, the winners and the losers are going to look a lot different. Historically, when the markets go down, they all go down. When the markets go up, they all go up. And it's frustrating for me, who's a stock picker. It's like, Okay, well, don't listen to me. Just go buy anything or just sell everything. And I think we're going to move away from that, and there's a really good reason for it, the capital crunch. And some companies are going to be able to keep the confidence of, of investors, and they're going to gain market share because the people that don't have investor confidence, i.e. don't have money, are going to have to scale back their plans. We've already seen that. I don't want to jump any of your questions, but we've seen that already starting to happen, both among public companies and private. So. Uh, I also want to say uh, I don't think that that's right that the market was on a total rocket ship from 17 until 19. There, there were definitely some downturns there, like the end of 18 for one. And, and, and certainly don't forget that Jeff Sessions uh, crash, mini crash at the uh, be beginning of, of 18. And, and in fact, just to, to set the record straight, the cannabis index, are, uh, any of them, declined more in 2018 than 19 actually it just felt worse in 2019 yeah well can we, and we'll we'll talk about the capital crunch um in a little bit but i think we wanted to get into a couple of states specifically with you alan um and specifically massachusetts so the state passed its adult use law in 2016 um and it were a week into 2020 and the 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 state still feels so screwed up what's happening there and when do you think it'll get its act together so, so a few weeks ago, uh, I, th I think right around New Year's, for my weekly newsletter for New Canvas Ventures, I, I wrote about uh, the number one threat to our market, and I, it's the illicit market. And I, I wrote about a whole bunch of things that, that can be done or need to be done, and I, and I left one thing out. But I left it out because there's, I don't know what we can do about it, but that's what's hurt Massachusetts, and that is local control. And local control has just killed Massachusetts, and it's the not in my backyard uh, thing. And this, this, this is a problem in California too, by the way, a really yeah. big problem. And so I, I think that's the main issue. Uh, but uh, you know, the the public companies all fell on their faces uh, in Massachusetts. They were all optimistic they get their licenses and start to crank out revenue. And it will obviously be a great market. But you, you guys have been following this long enough to know that uh, nine out of ten times, maybe ten out of ten times, nothing happens at the pace that we like it to. Yeah, but 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 this is like f almost four years, right? I mean... We're going to be passed up by some of their other states that Oklahoma? are going to legalize. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to mention them right now, and y'all are probably heading there, but they will be passed up at, at this rate. It's sad. Yeah, so let's stick with another state in Florida, right? Because everybody was betting Florida's going to be huge. It's got 
tens of millions of people that live there. It's it's a potentially massively robust um, medical market that eventually is going to go adult use. But it seems like that state has just been a pit of disappointment. Um, why, why, why do you say that? I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily in agreement on that one. Well, good. Well, you see, you know, the... Um, the, the lawsuits that are taking place that are seem to be slowing down, um, the deals that have been walked away from, um, you know, the inability of the MSOs to get to scale quickly. And it seems like a lot of the MSOs are not pouring the money into the state that, that it requires to, to get to scale. So, you know, other than that, it's been a smashing success. Yeah, so I, I guess I see this glass more than half full, Lewis, on that. I, I'm actually really impressed. Uh, if you recall, that state uh, was hard to get legal in the first place on the medical. And, and then the program that came out uh, didn't even allow fl uh, flour. And so we've seen some big improvements there. Uh, I, I don't have uh, – you know, unfortunately, these MSOs don't give breakouts uh, very well, right? So we don't really know what's going on with each and every company. But the state of Florida gives out some great data, so you, you can get a real sense of, 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 of the progress being made there, in my opinion. And so there are two MSOs that are publicly traded, or I guess I'd call them SSOs at this point. <laughs> True Leave, uh, I guess that's not fair. They're kind of an MSO, but they're really a Florida company at this point. And then uh, Liberty, which is nice because you can see what's going on 100% in Florida. There, these companies are doing quite well compared to anywhere else that I've seen. Uh, and so there has been some scaling back. Think about like MedMen that that went big on Florida, and uh, and and they just stopped. So they're going to have these seven stores. But there are other MSOs that seem to be ramping up, and I I think it'll be interesting to see. Because it is such a promising market, and to see how the politics develop there, you mentioned some lawsuits, and the market—you know—the caps are supposed to lift pretty soon. There, there's a lot going on there. You have Cure Leaf saying they're going to kick ass there uh, and, and knock uh, True Leaf off the top in Florida. Uh, I'll believe that when I see it. But you know, there is a lot going on, and I—I I, I think, unfortunately, there's the politics are tough to handicap there. I mean, this is a state where you have smart people saying that they could legalize through the ballot or through uh, even the legislature. And at the same time, you have some smart people saying neither of those is going to happen. So it, this is going to be one of the pivotal things, I think, for, for this year, because it is a great state. It's no Oklahoma. <laughs> Unfortunately, Oklahoma is small, but you know that's been a, a success story if you want to yep. change the subject. But but I think it's a good state, Lewis. So I'm going to disagree that it's disappointing. Uh, I have, there's so much disappointment. That one feels good to me. Well, I guess then keeping on disappointment, let's talk about California. Um, you know, uh, so many companies, well, no, a handful of companies were really um, betting on, you know, a California only or California first model. The Dynameds, NorCal, Ease um, were kind of betting if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Um, but, you know, you alluded to the fact that, you know, in California where I live, um, you know, there is a lot of the NIMBY, not in my backyard stuff. Um, there's a there's obviously a huge black market here. Um, what do you think now of companies who are with that California first slash only strategy? I think it's smart. I think everybody needs to be patient. Uh, one of the big problems besides not enough uh, retail licenses in California and, and is, you know, that's really, I, I don't blame the black market for not going away. That's, that's really a huge issue. And there's been little enforcement. And if you think about it from a policy perspective, how stupid is it to enforce when there's no alternative? So, so 
you want to crank up the enforcement when there's legal alternatives. And so I, I think as, as much as I'd like to see and I believe that California should be protecting its license holders a little bit better, I can understand why it's been a little bit hesitant. One of the things that really miffed me was that Weed Maps continued to, to advertise and, and nothing, I, I can tell you, a lot pisses me off, very little, not nothing, very little, penny stock promotion pisses me off more. Yeah, we'll but, talk about that too. Yeah, but uh, the Weed Maps really pissed me off because uh, they did the same thing in Canada too, by the way. So doing away with that is, is a little bit of help, more enforcement, getting more licenses. I think all this is going to help. You know, one of the, the more concerning recent discoveries has been uh, the, the companies are, are, are walking on both sides of the street at the same time, meaning that they have a public-facing legal organization that's dwarfed by a illegal operation, and that's disgusting. And these people need to be in jail. And Cushy Punch, if if it's true, Cushy Punch uh, lost their license over this, and is one example. And if if you talk to people, they'll tell you there's a lot of this going on, and you know. Uh, uh, just yesterday, it was revealed that Harvest is trying to walk away from Falcon, mm. and Falcon—they're accusing Falcon in their lawsuit of shipping interstate. So yeah, if you can make it in California, you can take it anywhere. Is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, you know. We've talked—it's talking about interstate. You know, um, Adam Smith from the the Craft Cannabis Alliance up in Oregon is all in on his belief that we're going to see. Um, an interstate compact on the West Coast at a minimum, um, but that it will force East Coast states to allow for the shipping of of cannabis cross state lines. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction. But go ahead, what is your take on that, man? I, I don't there's know a dollar bet on the table laugh. too. Yeah, there's a dollar bet on the table, right? Yeah, this is really stupid. And you know, I was in Oregon for the first time <laughs> uh, ever, and I was talking. I went into a dispensary, and I was just talking to him, and he said, you know. Uh, we're getting ready to export. And I was asking this guy, How, how's that going to work? Uh, <laughs> Did he know who you were? No. Okay. No. And, uh, you know, he couldn't really explain how it was going to work. And guess what? It's not going to work. Uh, this is not something that will happen as long as it's federally legal, in my opinion. So I, I get it. Uh, all these states, and this is, you know, Lewis, you and I have talked about this a lot, why legalization is going to take so long. And this this is part of it. All these these companies want to companies, states want to keep their taxes and all that. They, yeah, it's back like George Costanza. Everybody wants to export. Nobody wants to import. And, uh, it, that's just not possible at this, at this time when it's federally legal, I'm sure they'll, they'll figure this out. Even to this day, I'm not a beer and alcohol expert, but it's not that easy. It's, it's not as simple as wanting to do something. It's, it's very complex. Um, you had, Talked a little bit about the cash crunch. Let's let's go back to that. Uh, it looks like, you know, some of the MSOs or or the just the public the U.S. public cannabis companies are literally running out of cash. Um, MGO and LO Capital ha have done an analysis of the top twenty public companies. Um, they looked at their cash position. They looked at their their burn rate. And, you know, the average U.S. company has about six months of cash on hand. Um, so what's going to happen? Are we going to see shotgun weddings? Are we going to see license auctions this year? Uh, how does this play out? 
Yeah. So, so first of all, for people, before they panic about this, uh, I, th I think it's really easy to take last quarter's numbers and say, how much did you spend on uh, uh, cash flow operations and how much did you spend on CapEx or, and or other uh, investments and things like that? And then say, okay, this is your burn rate. But I, I think everybody should realize the companies can and do make adjustments. And we've already heard about uh, companies uh, prioritizing certain markets. And so there is a little bit of control. So that's the first thing. I just want to warn against that type of analysis that it's, it's there's nothing wrong with, with, with what they're doing, but you need to understand that you can take it to an, the next level. Uh, there's controllable spending and, and non-controllable spending. And, you know, MedMen is a good example. They're, I can assure you their spending is going to go down. They've, they've fired, you know, 40% of their people or whatever it is. So, so there are things that can be controlled. Uh, how's it going to play out? The shotgun wedding part, I doubt. Uh, it's very complex. We've seen, you know, think about how long it took uh, – uh, well, a lot of that was the HSR, but still, these deals were going to take a long time to close because certain states don't require, don't allow multiple license holders, like Massachusetts and New York. And so, right. like that Pharmacan and MedMan thing was a little bit of a test case. So, the bigger these MSOs get, the harder it is. So, maybe some small single state operator shotgun wedding, sure, but don't expect. Uh, you know, two large MSOs running out of money to get together and somehow solve their problem. That's not happening. So uh, it's, it's just not really possible. So we've already seen uh, a, a few developments. So first of all, there have been companies that said that they didn't like the sale leaseback transaction. It was too expensive. Well, guess what? Now they're doing sale leasebacks and, uh, and it's not cheaper for them. So no, that's, 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 that's actually unbelievably it, expensive money. Right? Yeah. It's, it's not cheap. And investors need to understand uh, it's not as bad as selling your stock uh, at a very low price potentially, but there is a cost because you're going to be having operating costs in the future so that are higher. So that's that's one thing that we've seen a lot of. And it, you know, I'm I was a little worried that it was just going to be uh, IIPR all all year. We've been hearing about these new REITs, and in fact, Subversive Subversive just closed 200 million. So there are now now several REITs. We just profiled. I think it's a client of yours, uh, Green Acreage. Are they yes, they are. They yeah. are a client. And Katie Katie's really smart. Sharp. Yeah. So. There are a lot of operators, uh, tree houses out there, and uh, you know I liked what they were talking about. I, I haven't heard an update in a while, but you know also helping out on the retail part. So so that's that's part of it. Second, we have seen, and this gets to the separating the wheat from the chaff or whatever they call it. The where investors have confidence, they uh, will will loan these companies money. So we have seen even Harvest, which I think is you know one where one should maybe question uh, a little bit more than the others, they have been able to, to secure uh, loans. And they, they, they did a large deal recently. Uh, what was it? 15% uh, for, for just straight debt, which uh, it's expensive too, right? But it's, you that's know, cheaper. Maybe... That's cheaper than 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 other sources. I mean, debt is, is has been at, you know, 18 to 20%. So, you know, yeah. so it, it, it's, uh, you're not looking at a cheap, you know, none of this is cheap. So know. then the other thing, we've seen these ATMs start to pop up uh, at the money offerings. And so Cresco has one. A whole bunch of Canadian companies have them. Medmen obviously has one as well in the U.S. And and I think that's a great tool. I've, I've warned, you know, just Can you actually explain what that is, Alan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's actually uh, – 
you know, a very common way that companies finance themselves. And so we've already seen these shelf registrations that make it easier, that streamline the process so that the minute Canaccord says we've got a deal for you, they can say done. You don't have to do a lot. Of, it, and it allows it to be a, a public offering and not a private placement, things like that. So we've already seen these shelf registrations. This takes it a little step further by creating the ability uh, to have a selling agent like uh, Cowan or whoever it is. And uh, essentially, anytime the company wants to just sell a million dollars of stock, they just call up Cowan and Cowan sells it. And it's through this registration statement. Uh, the ATM, and so that's why it's called at the market. And uh, and the advantage, the disadvantage seems to be that retail investors are scared to death of them. That's the disadvantage. The advantages, are, I think, are many. It just gives you a lot of flexibility. And uh, you know, when these deals get priced, they the the first of all, uh, the the broker dealers front run them, or, or, or they and their customers front run them. So the stock gets pounded before the deal's announced. Then the deal gets priced at a discount. And so it, these large deals are nice because it's it's like ripping off the Band-Aid and it's over. But, you know, you ripped it off and there's blood everywhere. It's disgusting. So, <laughs> that's, so the, the ATM is – the Well, that's what it is. And so I kind of like the ATM being there. But then again, if you're, you know, Tilray's – just pounding their ATM every day, it seems like. So uh, so anyway, I think we will see equity offerings. And it, it's this is why I've warned subscribers at 420 Investor, don't expect a repeat of Q119 and Q120 because the reality is all the debt and sale lease back in the world is not going to uh, allow these companies to grow. So it's a combination of sale lease backs and debt, some equity sales. I think they'll be a little bit patient there for the most part, but like, you know, we've seen some pretty desperate capital raises. And then the other part that I think people need to give a lot of thought to, and I think one of the most thoughtful people in the way he describes it is Ben Kovler at GTI. And he talks about a stable of licenses that they have and that the current, they'd love to develop them all today, but they don't, they can't, they don't have the money and, uh, and they're one of the better ones. Uh, so it forces a prioritization uh, of your assets in, in development. And so, no, not everybody will spend as much money as they have been spending. They're going to slow down their development, and there will be winners created from that. The, the you know, like maybe True Leave in Florida will benefit, for example. Uh, maybe. We'll see. And uh, it also... Um, in, in addition to creating some winners, oh, I'm sorry, in addition to slowing their development, you know, these companies haven't necessarily been focused on cost. They, they've been focused, all of them have said the same thing. They've said, we're going to be the biggest MSO ever tomorrow, and we're going to have a billion in revenue in a week or, you know, whatever they're right. saying. And so now they, maybe they look at their operations a little bit more closely. You know, we've, we've seen it already. I mean, we've seen layoffs in, in the U.S. industry and management changes and things like that and rationalization. And when things – when people are just handing you money uh, left and right, you don't think about that necessarily. But when they stop handing you the money, you get smarter about how you're spending it. Just to remind everybody, we're talking with Alan Brockstein from 420 Investor and New Cannabis Ventures. You, you, Danny Moses, a few others have been just hyper-focused on, on transparency and corporate governance. Um, and, you know, a lot of, you know, 
every U.S. cannabis company is prohibited from listing on the New York Stock Exchange um, and, and the NASDAQ. You know, they're listed on the, the CSE, they're on the OTC, which has slightly laxer corporate governance standards. Do you see the U.S. companies getting better at this or should consumers, I mean, consumers, do retail investors have a, a higher level of skepticism about the way these companies are talking about themselves than they would, you know, were they on the, the, the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ? Yeah, I'm not so sure the exchange is, is necessarily the issue. I, mean, I just want to go back to the point I made. When people are handing out money left and right, there's a, a lack of control about spending it. Same thing for governance. When people are handing out money left and right and everybody thinks that tomorrow's going to be double today, people don't pay attention to corporate governance. I think that changed a lot last year and especially after the CanTrust debacle. But, uh, you know, there's still situations where a lot of these companies are totally controlled by insiders and shareholders really don't have any say. And uh, I, I've never been a fan of that. I, I wouldn't rule out an investment in a company uh, that's structured like that, like, say, MedMen, uh, hypothetically. I wouldn't rule it out. But I have to say, at the margin, when you have a company uh, that that really, you know, a person really controls the whole thing, that's dangerous for, for the other uh, shareholders that share the economic risk. And, you know, some of this is through voting stock, not even through economic control. I guess it's a little different if there's economic control. So, you know, investors should be aware of these situations and, and the way these voting rights work and, and, and all that. And uh, if they feel like management is lining their own pocket, and I'm not going to name names. Oh, come on, no, name no, names. No, I'm not because it's your clients. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. It's, it's not your client. I don't think we need to do that, but I think people do need to be aware that there are deals out there. Like, I'm not going to say about Kronos and Redwood. That would be rude, you know? So... <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, no kidding aside, and I'm, I don't want to judge that, but what I will say is that everybody needs to be aware that that crap goes on. And, uh, uh, you know, tr true leave. I, I have so much respect for, for Kim Rivers and that organization. And, you know, people have been caught off guard. It was in that short report, and I, of course, we knew about it before. But, you know, the dealings with her husband and, and the construction payments, and it's just stuff like that that – uh, you know, people just need to be aware of this. Should it not happen? I I'm not saying that because, you know, for instance, maybe Truly got a great deal from the CEO's husband on construction. I don't know. But it's just something that uh, yeah, if we want to be in the big world, uh, which I hope we will be one day, that type of thing is not looked at favorably by institutional investors. And quite frankly, institutional investors uh, – haven't really looked at the U.S. companies that closely uh, for things like that yet. And uh, maybe, you know, hopefully they will in the future, but uh, I guess we could talk about what that's going to take. Well, actually, I think this kind of lends itself, Lewis, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but, um, you know, just based, you know, kind of on, on what you're talking about, uh, Danny Moses, who is a friend of the pod, is very focused on corporate governance. Um, and, you know, he believes that many of these cannabis companies have some some issues there, you know, like like we, we just talked about, is you know. Are companies, do you think, are they taking note? Or are they learning from this? And are they getting better at it? I think so. To be fair, I, I really do think that they are. I mean, e even like the worst example of this, MedMen ha has 
moved in that direction and is certainly aware of it. So this is not like some hidden time bomb that nobody's aware of. It's it's uh, and and honestly, some of this, some some of this is I think driven by law. Uh, the, the the way the CSE listings worked, I, I think they had to have these voting stocks and super voting, all this complexity that everybody rightly hates. It should just be one man or woman and one, you know, one share of stock, one vote, whatever you want to say. But uh, so some of that I think may be legal from what I've heard before. But I, I, I think I think that uh, I don't think this is a ticking time bomb, but I do think this is an area for improvement. Let's stick with with MedMen because <clears throat> and this different class of, of voting shares. You know, it seems like all of the MSOs went that 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 route. The newer you know, ones, they, yeah. The, the newer, newer well, well yes. yes. If you if you went public in eighteen, most probably you had this super class of voting shares. Right. But this is not unusual. I mean if you look at Uber or or any of the other big Google, right? So you know, if you are a retail investor and you your voice, Alan, is the voice of the retail investor, how do you read the filings and and get an understanding of what's going on within the company um, from just a, a cap table perspective? Like who owns what, who can do what and what rights do I have as, a, as a, an investor? Even if I only have five shares, you know, how do I? How do I protect yeah, so myself? So actually, it's pretty straightforward. It's it's in the filings, and they they explain all of that. They explain the capital structure, and then they they tell you. And I guess the next step is you just add up all the shares, and and you can see is is the company controlled or not controlled. And uh, so I, I I don't know that it matters honestly to to shareholders. Like some of the better stocks may be the ones that are controlled. It's it's hard to say. So I I, I think people should be careful to consider multiple factors and not focus solely on that one. But the information is there. It's not hidden. It's in, it's in the filings. And uh, I don't know that there's like rules that you can create. Like I am not going to own a stock that has multiple voting because, you know, it's some cases it may save you, but not necessarily for that reason. Um, there has been some turnover, but not a tremendous amount of turnover yet in the C-suites for a lot of the bigger public companies, especially the U.S. ones. Canadian one com- companies have had tremendous turnover. Do you do you think that that's coming? Do you see the boards of directors for the bigger MSOs looking at performance and saying, guys, thanks, you structured this company well, you got us all these licenses, but you're not a retailer, you're not uh, an agricultural CEO who knows how to, to drive growth, you know, literally how to grow cannabis. Do you see turnover in the C-suite this year? No, because all these things are controlled. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that is a part of it. I mean, I don't think Adam Bierman's going to be leaving. There was a lot of speculation that he would. Uh, Adam will go down uh, in flames before that happens, I, I would suspect. But uh, 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 and I'm not saying that's good or bad. Most man in cannabis. <laughs> in his mind. But I, I like Adam personally. I mean, we get along fine. But I'm, I'm just saying, just, as, just my view on that, that it, it, it can be very hard to get rid of your CEO in that type of situation. But, uh, you know, I, I don't. Let, let's step back a sec. Why, why in the U.S., besides falling stock prices, would, would there be an issue? Like in Canada, these companies have failed to deliver. And I don't know that it's 100 percent 
their fault. Uh, the, the conditions have been terrible. But the reality is a lot of the turnover has been because the companies – it's not, not so much just their stocks, but their numbers haven't been what they said they were going to be or what they were projected to be or what they should be. And in the U.S., it's kind of different. I, I mean I think the companies are – you know, many of the companies, the leading companies are performing fairly well actually. So not their stocks necessarily, but the well, companies but themselves. They, so these guys have all made projections, but they've all made projections that – Especially when they first went public, you know, we were going to do four hundred million dollars of top line revenue in. Yeah, the, but you forgot the asterisk. And, it depends on Massachusetts. Come on. <laughs> right, but but you're assuming that everybody reads those asterisks, right? And and you described the retail investors the way I did, which is lemmings. They chased the stocks up, and as soon as they started to sell off, they they've been chasing them down. So there's not a lot of. Uh, support out there for any of these companies and if they need to continue to raise capital because it's an unbelievably capital intensive industry right you have to build out grows in in every in the 33 legal states you have to build out processing in the 33 legal states you have to build up excuse me you have to build out retail that you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and if these guys don't know how to squeeze every you know gram of of uh, yield out of a grow and they don't know how to do great you know manufacturing at some point aren't the boards going to have to say look you know we love you you gotta go yeah i i see your point i think it's going to play out a little bit differently I, I think first of all we've seen a lot of this we've seen talent being brought in and so uh that that's a way around it like the ceo if he's good at or she is good at managing uh, people and can bring in the right people, it might obviate that need. Uh, and secondly, I, I think le less than the board, I think it might be driven by investors, uh, like the ones that, that invest in, in, in those bought deals or what have you. So uh, I just, I'm not seeing it right now. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of how voluntary change can happen. And that's uh, Medicine Man Technologies, which mm -hmm. is uh, evolving into a, a Colorado cannabis company uh, instead of a service and products company. What a great story. Well, it's going to be really interesting. But, you know, Andy, I, I've known Andy Williams for a long time. He's one of the OGs, and I, I've, I have really enjoyed, uh, you know, a, a good relationship with him for many years. And I, I was a little concerned when I got the news that, uh, he was no longer going to be the CEO, but was going to be, I think, president or something like that. And uh, and I talked to him about it, and th this this goes to the point that we were making. It, that was led. Look, Andy didn't object, by the way. I don't think he's happy. He doesn't want to be the CEO. He 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 wants to do what he wants to do. But it was really that whole thing. The genesis of it was it's part of their capital raising, or at least that was their internal view that for them to raise capital, they needed a CEO that could speak capital markets a little bit better than Andy thought or others thought Andy could. So, I I think. I think that's a little bit telling. So yeah, these companies are going to need more money. But when I think about uh, Cresco and GTI and even Cureleaf, I, I just what you're saying isn't resonating with me at all in terms of the boards forcing out those CEOs. So maybe if you want to throw out like Acreage, well, they can't get rid of Kevin Murphy. I mean, that might be an interesting discussion. I don't know, but uh, you know, he 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 controls that company. Back to that point. So. So these things are going to be tough because of uh, voting control, I, I would say, and, and, and unless investors are really pushing it, uh, and I don't see that on any of the major MSOs that I'm following. 
So in, I guess, sticking with doom and gloom, let's talk about federal regulation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this the, is just a sunshine episode. <laughs> hey, I'm really optimistic. I, you, you guys said earlier, you're in a good mood. I'm in a great mood. I'm not happy with the way the year's starting with the prices for sure, but I'm well, a long-term bull here. Well, so then I guess let's oh, talk we. about, yeah. I mean, so what do you, do you see any help coming from DC then anytime soon? Are we going to see the safe not. act? Are we going to no. see, okay. No. So, Next question. <laughs> no, no, but I, this is really important. Last night, you know, I have these weekly chats. And last night, I said, I think one of the biggest misconceptions in this industry is that to make money, you're betting on federal legalization. And, and Lewis, we've talked about this before. Number one, legalization is not happening anytime soon, most likely. Happy to explain my views on that again. But number two, be careful what you wish for. Like a while ago, people thought it'd be rescheduled to two. Uh, from one. What a disaster that would be. Oh my yes. God. And if anybody wants to just take a gander at what, how great legalization can be, do you guys remember what was legalized a little over a year ago in the United States at the federal level? CBD? Come on. Yes. Not CBD. Well, yes. See, see hemp. Well, hemp. hemp. Hemp was legalized. Yes. And everybody was all excited. Just Pull up a chart, put Charlotte's Web, CV Sciences, and Elixinol, the three you know, leading public companies there, and just see how great legalization has been. It's terrible, I promise. And uh, the, the one thing is, is, is when we do get legal, you would, you would imagine that certain companies that have built franchises will be acquired by larger companies that want to enter the space because it would give them you know, commanding market share on day one. But at this point in time, nobody's really that big yet and things aren't that developed and uh, if we were to legalize tomorrow which we won't it, it would not necessarily be that great for these companies uh it, it would be a competitive disaster i think all right so you're a bull we're a bull give us three or five things that you're most excited about for this year what is the things that you're looking forward to so that when we come back again whether it be June or December and said, you know, Alan, you were right. What are those things that you were going to be right about? So number one, not in any order. I'm just thinking geographically here. Canada should be better. We Ontario has been a huge problem and, and that will be fixed by the end of the year, it seems, or, or on its way to being fixed. And for your listeners that don't quite follow, Illinois just legalized. I'll get to that in a minute. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they, on day one, they had more dispensaries open than Ontario has more than a year later. And Ontario's bigger than Illinois. So that's, that's been a huge problem. And, and that, and I'm kind of uh, getting more and more negative on cannabis 2.0. Unfortunately, the provinces have wrecked it. And uh, certain provinces aren't allowing vape pens out of caution. Certain provinces aren't allowing chocolates or other uh, edibles out of caution for the for the kids uh and then uh, i think drinks are going to be a dud so we can save that for another uh <laughs> episode but but still we're going to be it's you know if you want to compete with the illicit market there you've got to have these other products and you have to have if you're not going to have more quality which is a question you got to at least have convenience which is not there right now so so that's number one number two I think uh and why i'm optimistic that when we talk a year from now things are going to be better it, it's the, the way that the elections are going to play out this year is going to be really interesting. We, we already know that this huge state of South Dakota is going to be voting on uh, medical and legal. Well, that doesn't matter, but there are some great opportunities this year. And so let me segue from what's really making me bullish. Illinois legalizing, it caught a little attention. It, I think this is the second best thing 
to happen since I've been following the space when it comes to state legalizations. And I, I, I put it uh, uh, at, right after Colorado and ahead of California. And the reason why California was problematic was they didn't have an established medical program. Remember, they, they went live with no legal dispensaries. They, they tried to implement both those programs on the same day. So yes, it was a great catalyst, but it was unfortunately a, a failure in the making and, and we're still paying the price. On the other hand, Illinois, while it's not perfect, they don't have enough stores yet and they don't have enough supply yet. This is a great program. And uh, you know, I was gonna tell you a funny story. When, when I went to summer camp and I can't promise you it was Governor John Pritzker, but I'm pretty darn sure it was. I wanna research that. But it, when I was 10 years old, the first time I water skied, I almost drowned. And I think it was John Pritzker that saved my life. Oh. And uh, oh it was God. a Pritzker. Wow. I know, right? I'm gonna double check that. I gotta figure out how, but the Pritzkers were, if it wasn't him, it was his brother. But uh, anyway. This is a huge catalyst for our industry in, on so many levels. It's going to, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to help investors because there's a lot of public companies that have leverage to Illinois, and they're going to people are finally going to say, hey, we can actually make some money off these public companies and instead of all the, you know, if you look at what happens, it's most of these public companies are. are not really dominating any state. Florida is probably the exception. And so I think that it's going to help because people are going to see the impact on companies like Cresco and GTI. It's going to help because neighboring states are, are you know, like Minnesota, maybe Wisconsin, Ohio, we'll see how that plays out, may contemplate legal legalization through the legislative process or uh, ballot initiatives. It's, it's also because if it works out as well as I expect, I think it's going to maybe give and they had a big social equity component. And this is actually one of the hangups that people, you can like it or hate it, but you just have to understand that for this, for, for these states to move forward, social equity is a big part of it. Illinois did it. And I think it's going to help states like New Jersey, for instance, move forward as well. So it's good for the investors. It's good for the future of other states legalizing. And then the third point I would make uh, is there are going to be some monster numbers this year, and I don't think people appreciate that yet. Coming out of some of these MSOs, the top three. So right, right now, the top, top, uh, top three are uh, TrueLeaf, GTI, and CureLeaf. Just looking at last quarter's numbers, and CureLeaf and GTI and Cresco will be the top three uh, this year. And the the growth rates are phenomenal. And I think what's going to capture people's attention beyond just the absolute numbers, which are just going to be way bigger than the Canadian LPs, is going to be the profitability. I mean, already TrueLeave is very profitable. And, and their profitability is probably at a little bit of risk due to com competitive pressures. But these other companies, GTI is already marginally profitable. And I think, uh, you know, Cresco and, and, and CureLeaf on these higher revenues are, are going to look a lot more profitable if not be profitable. And I think, I think that is a major driver. So there's your three. Um, so let, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to push you to name three companies that you, if you had $25,000 to invest right now, you're going to go eight, eight and uh, nine. Where would you tell a consumer, which companies would you tell them? These are my favorites. Oh, geez. You know, I don't like to play this game so much uh, because, A, I charge for that, and B, <laughs> no, but, you know, the, the thing is, is I always tell people, and I have heated arguments about this, believe it or not. My subscribers, some of them— I think we believe get, it. They Sorry. get mad at me because 
they want me to give them stocks to buy and hold. And I said, well, that's for idiots in this market. It really is. And buying and holding, it didn't work for Canopy Growth. It didn't work for Truly. It doesn't work for any of these companies at, at this point in time. There's just too much volatility. I, I'm not, I don't want to discourage people from trying to do it. But I, th I think the caveat that I would give you, and I will give you an answer, but I wanted to give you a huge caveat. This okay. is Alan Brockstein. Today's date is January 8th, 2020. And I'm going to tell you my model portfolio, top three holdings right now, live. I'm just checking it right now. I'm hitting refresh to see the top three positions at this very moment would be Kushko, uh, which is a client of mine at New Canvas Ventures and a client of yours, uh, Organogram. Uh, which is a client of, I, I'm not going in order, by the way, it's just random, uh, Organogram, uh, which is a client of mine at New Canvas Ventures uh, for disclosure purposes, and GTI in, uh, uh, you know, in Chicago is where they're based, uh, not a client of mine or yours, I don't think, right? No, I wish. Yeah, <laughs> I love those guys, and you know what? I don't always like my clients' stocks, and I, I, I like other stocks a lot, so anyway, Right this moment in time, those are the three that I have as my largest positions. But, you know, the, the main point I want to make is this is a very dynamic market and it could change literally tomorrow or maybe later today. It's, it's that dynamic and things move around a lot. And I have a lot of other ideas that I like and I wouldn't make a three stock portfolio. That, that portfolio has 15 stocks in it. What do you think of the ETFs? I'm still not liking them. Uh, there's been some improvement, uh, obviously, from when they when HMMJ first came out, and it was very concentrated in just a few LPs. Uh, you know, I think it was very telling if you go through and look at the HMMJ press release, and they've created all these other ETFs, and none of them have caught on, not a one of them, and they ended up booting a whole bunch of companies. It's 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 kind of embarrassing to add and then just boot these companies so quickly, but that's what happened. And uh, I, th I think that, you know, the idea of the ETF is a great one. Obviously, people want ETFs. Uh, uh, this, this is a, a big trend in, in the real world, but it's just, I don't think the, the main issue continues to be, like, I just told you the companies that I really like right now. And, uh, and I've mentioned some other ones. And, and you know, I, I, I've disclosed that I, I really think, and I don't have any positions in CureLeaf, by the way, but, you know, I think CureLeaf, GTI, and Cresco are going to have really good relative years, most likely, for the rest of the space. These ETFs can't own those stocks. So why do you want to push yourself into something that you can own First of all, it's so easy to replicate the ETFs, and, and guess what? Commissions are zero now, so you can't complain about the cost of buying 10 shares of 10 stocks if, if your investment's small. So I'm, I'm probably even more against the ETF at this moment in time and would caution everybody uh, to be very careful. The, none of these ETFs, uh, except for HMMJ in, uh, in Canada and MJ in the United States, have reached scale, and even those, the, the performance has been not great and i think and even an amateur could could replicate those and not pay the <laughs> 0.75% fee. Oh, i don't think Tim Seymour is going to like to hear that. You know, i like Tim Seymour. I, I don't like his decision to to do that. He didn't ask me and i didn't tell him if he's listening. Uh, nothing against Tim Seymour, but i i don't like that and uh people have talked to me about doing ETF and i flat out said no way and i have my reasons and i just don't if i'm going to put my name on something it's got to be the right time and uh you know i'm really proud I, I i came to i started 420 investor in 2013 
and because I thought it was the right time. And it turned out to be an incredibly right time and then an incredibly terrible time. If you recall, those stocks went up 10x and then crashed. And luckily, I survived that. The service survived that. But this is a great time, in my opinion, to be uh, an active investor in this space. And I caution people 420 investor all the time. Just don't put all your your eggs in one basket, meaning don't pick your one or, you know, you guys asked me three stocks. Yep. Uh, don't, don't put them in just a few stocks and don't put all your money in this sector. And I don't want to talk anybody out of being like the next Bill Gates, you know, because they bought all these stocks that would turn out to be a hundredth of their price or something. But I don't think that's the way it's going to play out. It's going to be a slow, you know, we've seen it. It's volatile, long drawn out process and take lots of shots on goal and don't put all your eggs in the cannabis basket. It's uh uh, have you ever been high and tried to carry a, a basket of eggs? It's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. So, no, kidding aside, I, I think uh, it's not a buy and hold. And uh, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity. And, and I, I know that things look tough right now. Uh, uh, they looked really great two years ago, and uh, and, and then look what happened. So, well, look, everybody was, everybody was saying this is not – you know, the dot-com bubble of the late 90s and the early 2000s, it's completely different. It's a conversion market. Yeah, and, that's, that's true. It is true. And, but the challenge is it is so capital intense that, you know, and because of the regulatory over, you know, structure, you know, uh, uh, as we've discussed, you've got this federal illegality, which doesn't allow for interstate commerce. It doesn't allow for listing on mainstream um, uh, exchanges. Debt is unbelievably expensive. It's forcing these companies to do shitty deals to keep going or to slow their growth rather than run as fast as they want. <clears throat> you know, it, so it's not. It is Darwin. It's not. It's so. It's not dot com. It's you know the green rush is still real, right? There is still this unbelievable move to convert from the illicit to the illicit market. I keep saying that today more people bought weed legally than did so yesterday, and will do so for years and years to come because the illicit market is still three or four times as big as the the regulated market. It, um, spot on, Lewis, as usual. <laughs> Boy, you you may be wow. the only person in my entire wow. life who has ever said that to me. That's going to be... That's going to be yeah. his ringtone, Alan. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm so going to get that as my ringtone. Um, we got two more questions. Um, the first is you have a, this long-term relationship with Benzinga, um, and their, their Miami conference is coming up in February. Can you talk a little bit about that? Who should go? What should they expect? Um, and what's your role there? And then I'll let Ann ask the last question. Sure. So, yeah, this will be, I think, is it the fifth? Uh, fifth Benzinga conference. And uh, the, the first one was in Toronto, and the second one, they went back to Toronto. Uh, well, actually, the, the, the second one was in Florida, then they went back to Toronto and then Chicago. So uh, now it's back to, back to Florida. And I, I think those other two cities will take place. And, you know, it fills a void. Uh, there are some conferences out there uh, that are trade shows, and that's not necessarily the best place for an investor. And then there are some conferences that cater to investors, but uh, they don't seem to be uh, at the same caliber as, as the Benzinga one. My role is, uh, I like to say that my unofficial title is Chief of Quality Control. And so I, I, I work with Benzinga to, uh, you know, to help introduce 
what I think are good companies. And uh, if they ask me about a company, I'll research it and give them my opinion of it, if you know what I mean. So that's my role. And you know, what's really nice about it, uh, I, th I think some people might say, well, why should I go to this? I can go to Canaccord and uh, conference, which I, you know, that's a fine conference. It's great from what I understand, but you can't go. If you're listening to this and you're a retail investor, it's very possible. They're not going to let you through those doors. It's an invite only type of conference. So this is open to everybody. And with that said, there are a bunch of institutional investors here, uh, both that focus on cannabis and even family office type folks that uh, you know, are dabbling or, or exploring. So uh, you may go there and find somebody to manage your money for you in addition to finding good companies. So, so that's the, the Benzinga thing. Yeah. And it's, it's in Miami, February 24th. Yeah, late February. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. We'll Last put a link. Week. You know what? I say that. I have no idea if we're going to put a link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's so funny. <laughs> I don't know. Um, before we let you go, Alan, um, we're going to do while you were sleeping. So what is the one story that uh, you think is not being told um, or or maybe it's not being told in the mainstream media enough or, or the financial media enough about this industry? Uh, hmm. That, that's a good one. I, I, think, I think to get to the a point I was making earlier, and I, I don't think this is being told very well, which is that the, you know, the, the way the U.S. is legalizing is very piecemeal. And Illinois, I don't think, is commanding the respect that it should. It was the first state to legalize through the legislature. Doing so shortens the timeline and reduces the risks of a failed program. And I think everybody needs to understand that at least uh, on paper, each program that comes out should be better than the last one. And you know, we've talked about the failure thus far in California, and Michigan is, is somewhat similar with the rollout of uh, medical, you know, of, of adult use without having a, a real established medical program. And I, I think that's probably the, to, in my opinion, going to be one of the big catalysts this year and help people to. I mean, I. I've been saying it. People smarter than me have been saying it. Like, you know, others, let's just say Tim Seymour has been saying it. Danny Moses has been saying it. That the U.S. is going to be a better investment than Canada probably. And it's, it has not been really. It's, it's, everything's moved the same. And I think that's the story that's not being told, that, that the growth is going to come not only from what's going on in the markets that are legalized, but the newly legal markets. And, and I think that the, the brilliance of the – Illinois legalization has not caught on yet. We talked to Chris Crane. He would, he would, he's been everywhere talking about it, you know, uh, it's, so. Go another smart guy. Uh, one of, uh, you know, if not our favorite, one of our favorites. Um, well, you know, what's great about Chris, just to give him a little bit of a plug. I mean, he's a guy that has figured out how to walk both worlds. The, the, the cannabis activist role and the business role. And he knows what his position is and, uh, but, you know, he, he works with people to advance both both the business and the cause. Well, Alan, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Um, you know, if if our listeners are not reading New Cannabis Ventures or subscribe to 420 Investor, shame on you. You know, we we talk about being at the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets and culture. And Alan really is. Um, so and to everybody, as always, thank you for listening. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. You can always drop us an email at 
greenrush at kcsa.com. We're always looking for your feedback, uh, guest ideas. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcatcher. And that's one take, Shay. Truly one take.